And so uh, we are starting our new series, the most wonderful time of the year. A couple of obvious things for some of you guys. Yes, this week I did go and move every single chair in the sanctuary. I know some of you are freaking out right now. It's going to be okay, I promise, all right? And so a couple other things. Uh, you guys, we just did a big uh, birthday wish for me in November to collect items, and there's some photos from some of that I think that's going to come up. But due to your all's generosity, we were able to provide uh, 90 coats for kids in our area, and so that was amazing. The women were overwhelmed with Head Start that we were able to fulfill all of their needs, just us. Also, we collected and food for 75 families, uh, and so 75 families got to have Thanksgiving meals because of you guys and your generosity. And then also we've collected tons and tons of toys and stuff for Operation Santa. And so a couple things. So the problem with doing good things and doing it well is once you do it well, people want to keep asking you to do good things. And so the schools have come back to us and said they have about 50 other families that need meals for Christmas. And so if you're interested in participating, you need to participate last time. Same setup as last time. There's bags out front. You can go and grab those. And we are collecting toys for Operation Santa, partnering with Hillview until next Next week, uh, they have had 400 kids sign up for that program, uh, and so if you want to bring in some toys and stuff like that to do that, make sure and do that by next week uh, if you have the time. And again, the food bags, we're doing those for some families for Christmas as well. So as you can tell, we're starting a new series, uh, and it is the most wonderful time of the year. Christmas is one of my favorite times of the year, uh, but for a lot of us, let's be honest, it can be difficult. I've already heard stories of people just from a couple weeks ago at Thanksgiving of some of the drama, some of the things that happen when you get people together in a room who do not always see things exactly the way that they are and they have different ideas of the way the world should go and our country should go and all of that stuff and then just tackle on, on top of all of that just... People can be rude, people can be mean, there's tension in our lives, there's strain in our relationships, we have family, we have friends, we have people we work with, and it doesn't always go the way that we hoped, our relationships don't always go the way that we hoped, and some people can just be really mean. And so what do we do when people are mean? What do we do with mean people? Now, the thing you have to realize as we kind of talk about this for the next couple of weeks is, yes, people are mean, but there's also the realization that every single person in this room, including me, we have also been mean, right? We've been mean to people. We've been rude to people. We've hurt people's feelings, all right? And, and so I hope that you are not the person that comes to mind as we talk about this over the next couple of weeks. But the reality is when we talk about mean people, somebody might be thinking about you, right? As you think about other people. Now, when it comes to mean people, they are deceptive, they are unkind, sometimes they're controlling, sometimes they're unpredictable, um, sometimes they're manipulative, they, they keep us off balance sometimes. Sometimes mean people, they gain a measure of control in our life, and our natural response most of the time when this happens is we're going to be mean right back, right? So whatever you're dishing to me, I'm dishing to you, right? It's difficult not to be mean to mean people. It's difficult not to be unkind to people who've been unkind to us. It's difficult to be sensitive to people who seem to be insensitive towards us. And there's this great golden rule that we all try to live our lives by. We say we do at least, right? Do unto others, you'd have them do unto you. But the golden rule goes out the window when it comes to mean people. The golden rule gets replaced by the iron rule. The iron rule is do unto others as they have done unto you, right? And of course, this becomes a problem because the problem is when it comes to these type of things, when it comes to mean people, not only do we empower them sometimes by our response, right? But the reality is sometimes when people are mean to us and we respond in kind, 
we become just like the people we don't like. The problem becoming even with someone who's mean or rude or unkind is you've just become even with someone you don't even like. And now all of a sudden, you're just like them. And so what are our options, right? What are our options? Okay, you can ignore them, you know, you can do all of these things, but sometimes, you know, that doesn't really help. And, and so what can we do when it comes to people? Now, the other thing that we realize sometimes, and this story is going to illustrate that we're going to look at today, and we're going to talk more about it next week, it's going to illustrate this reality, that when we kind of take the revenge approach, and revenge is this kind of ugly, dirty thing, because revenge is never even, like, how do you know if you got the appropriate amount of revenge? How do you know if you've done it right? You know, and that type of thing. Um, but it also seeps out. Many times what happens is when you have someone in your life that's been mean to you or rude to you or harmed you in some way, um, it doesn't often stay isolated that relationship, does it? It often seeps out in other places. Someone was mean today to me, and so I go home and I take it out on my kids or my wife or I'm rude to them because of something that happened to me. Or, or sometimes it's the realization, and you realize this as you get older, that sometimes the people that are actually mean to you, it has nothing to do with you. It has something to do with something else, right? You realize that they're not angry with me, that they're angry with this person. They're just taking it out on me. Or sometimes the problem is, and why we have to deal with it, is it becomes cyclical, doesn't it? You realize if you had parents that weren't very kind to you or were often mean to you, sometimes you realize it's not actually me that's the problem. The problem is it was their father or their mother or the way they treated them or somebody else or somebody at work. Or, or maybe it's just this reality that they're just angry with life, but their anger overflows, their meanness overflows to other people, including you. And so what do we do with mean people? Now, I'm going to go ahead and tell you, I'm going to tell you a really fascinating story about someone who, who, who kind of diffused a situation that could have gotten a lot worse. But I'm going to go ahead and tell you the way this is going to end, none of us in this room are going to like. In fact, there's going to be pushback to everything that I say today. And so what we have to understand is that Jesus models this option that we have when it comes to mean people. And today I want to tell you a story about someone who modeled this as well. So this is a story that takes place in the Old Testament. It's a story that you're probably not familiar with. You are familiar with at least one character in this story, and it is King David. David is in David and Goliath. David that takes on Goliath. David that becomes the greatest king of Israel that writes so much of the Old Testament, or at least tells people to write it for him. Um, but if you grew up in church, maybe you know the story of the shepherd boy, David. Uh, but at this point in the story, what happens is he's actually a fugitive. He's on the run. Because see, what happens is after he kills Goliath, the story that we all know with the slingshot, he becomes a national hero. He becomes a national treasure. The problem is that as he becomes more important and more influential in the community, he's not the main guy in, in charge. We know there's a guy named Saul that actually David fought the battle of Goliath for. But the people start to love David more than they love Saul, and this becomes a problem because as the king, he wants to have the most influence, and he realizes that he doesn't have as much influence as his servant David. And, and so Saul, he becomes very um, manipulative, he becomes very jealous, he becomes very mean and cruel towards David, he even tries to kill him a couple times, which isn't a good way, you know, to have a relationship, especially with, by the way, it's his father-in-law. So if your father-in-law is trying to kill you, just a warning sign, things aren't going well, Right? And so he's literally, he's on the run because Saul has stripped him of everything. He's being mean to him. He's being cruel to him because he sees David as a threat to his kingdom and his dynasty. 
And so he tries to kill David. He eventually banishes him, and he becomes a fugitive. Now, David has, because of who he is, he has the loyalty of a lot of different people. And so he kind of gains this momentum. He's got about 600 men. Many of them are called his mighty men. And so he's a fugitive. He's got this small army, but it's nothing compared to the army of Israel. But he also decides, because he's a man of integrity, or at least tries to be, that that even though he has his opportunities, he's not going to take out Saul because that's not what God wants for him. And so he's on the run for Saul. He's kind of trying to outweigh Saul, but there's all of this tension. There's all this anger between these two guys. And so in this story that we see, he's out on the run with these 600 men out kind of in the middle of nowhere up on a mountain. And this is where we meet a woman named Abigail. Now, Abigail becomes this very central figure of the story, but the story actually takes place more with her husband. Her husband's name is Nabal. Now, in 1 Samuel chapter 25, Nabal, we find out that he is this, he's a shepherd, he's a farmer, and he's got about 1,000 goats and 3,000 sheep in in the area of Carmel. And and so during sheep shearing season, say that three times fast, uh, what we realize is, is that this is a currency for them. And so the way they find out how wealthy they are is how much wool that they get when they shear the sheep. And this, this is a currency they can trade with. And these 3,000 sheep, what Nabal realizes <coughs> is that this year, he's going to have more than he's ever had before. This is like his annual financial report. And he <laughs> finds out that he has more than he ever has had before. And he's married to a woman named Abigail. So what we find out about this story, and you can read it for yourself, but I'm kind of paraphrasing it for time, <coughs> is that part of the reason that he has so much is because David and his men are staying near where he's at. And nobody wants to mess with David because they know what David can do and they know he's got these 600 men. So all of the men that normally may have came in and tried to mess with Nabal, mess with his livestock, this is a culture where this happens a lot. People will steal from you, take from you because they're just trying to survive. So during a year where normally some of this would go on, nobody's messing with Nabal and his sheep because David and his men are right there. And so what ends up happening is Nabal ends up wealthier than he ever even imagined because nobody's messed with his sheep, nobody's messed with his livestock, and so he's looking pretty good. And so David and his men, they're up on this mountain, they're just trying to survive. And so David hears that Nabal's had a really good year, and he kind of puts together the idea that part of the reason he's had a good year is because nobody's messed with his stuff. And so David, he goes to Nabal, and he has a request. He, he sends some guys to Nabal, and he says, hey, so, you know, I realize and I've heard that you had a really good year with your livestock. You ended up having more than you expected. And, and you know, part of this is kind of due to our protection, and, you know, and we're up here. We're barely trying to survive. And, and also, you know, kind of the idea that they could have messed with Nabal. They could have taken some sheep for themselves if they wanted to, and there's nothing he could have done about it, but because they're men of integrity, they chose not to do that. And, and so he kind of asked this request. He says, so I've heard you got a little bit of extra. You know, we're out here barely making it. So is it possible that with this extra that you have that you could maybe give some of that to us? Maybe just some food and some water and some things like that, some basic needs, you know, that, that we could have. And so the men, they go, and it seems like a reasonable kind of ask. Like it's reasonable. And, and so he goes to Nabal and, and he asks this, his men, And here's Nabal's response. He says, who is David? Like, who who is this guy? Who is this son of Jesse who who asks this of me? Now, everybody knows who David is. This is an insult. This is a request that that maybe some of you are like, well, that doesn't really make sense because it's really, it's Nabal's stuff. So if David asks for it and he gives it to him, you know, but there's no reason to be rude here. 
There's no reason to be mean here. And he goes on, he says, he's just a bandit. He's just a fugitive. He's a nobody. He's an outlaw. I did not ask for his help. I didn't need him to do this for me. And you go back and you tell him that. And so David's men, they, they, they turn around and they go back to David and they're like, you know, here's what he said. He was like, well, who are you? Who are you to ask this of me? And we didn't ask for your help. It's, you know, you gave it to us, but we didn't ask for it. And he's just kind of a, a jerk. And, you know, here's David's response. Well, that makes sense. Okay. You know, better luck next time. Right? It's not his response. David looks at his 400 men and he says, each of you strap on your sword. And I will strap on mine as well. And he gets his sword and 400 armed men and he marches down the mountain to go meet Nabal, the shepherd, and his servants. At this point, what you have to understand is this is a bit of an overreaction. Yeah, somebody was mean to you, but to go down and take 400 men with you and tell them to strap on their swords to go and to meet this guy. Yeah, he was a jerk. I get it. He shouldn't have said that. But this is going to be a massacre. And isn't that the way that revenge works when someone's wronged you, when someone's been mean to you? It's almost always an overreaction, right? Like, you took some of my, my Skittles, right? I'm stabbing you in the kneecap now, right? Like, it, it, it's always just, it's never appropriate. I mean, Nabal's response wasn't right. He shouldn't have done this. But to take 400 warriors to get revenge. And so what we see next in the story is David. He's on his way, and he's, he's got these guys. I mean, there's no way these guys stand a chance against David. And what goes on is he starts to build up a head of steam. He starts to justify in his mind what he's about to do. Have you ever done that before? Like someone's wronged you, and all of a sudden you're going, and you're going to meet with them, and you're going to talk with them, and you know that you're not in the right place to do this. But you start to justify in your mind what you're going to do. And this is exactly what David does. Listen to what he starts to say to himself in verse 21. It's been useless, all of my watching over this fellow's property in the wilderness so that nothing of his was missing. Well, first of all, nobody asked you to do that. You chose to do that, and it was nice that you did it. Don't get me wrong, but, but he's starting to like kind of justify. Like he's starting to, in his mind, like kind of justify what's happened. I mean, how has he responded to me? He's paid me bad for, for, for evil, for good. Like I was doing a good thing, and now this guy's being a, a jerk to me. And now, and, and maybe you've done this, and I hope not. Now he's going to invoke God in this. Listen to what he says. May God deal with David. May God deal with me. Talking in third person, that's never good. Be it ever so severely, if by morning I leave alive one male of all who belong to him. I mean, this is an overreaction of epic epic. I'm going to kill his servants, I'm going to kill his friends, his sons, I'm going to kill them all. And at this point in the story, you almost want to go like, okay, like David, like, okay, I understand he shouldn't have taunted you. I understand he shouldn't have been disrespectful to you. I understand he probably shouldn't have been mean. But is this what you're going to do? Is this what we do? Now, if you know anything about David's history, because we always talk about the good parts of David's history, we often kind of don't talk about the bad parts. Um, what you'll realize is, yeah, this is what David does. 
See, some people in their, their anger, some people in their meanness, they're predictable. Like, we could have saw this coming if you knew the rest of the story of David. So he's riding along, he's hurt, he's angry, he's kind of powering up, and he's going to respond evil for evil. You were mean to me, you were disrespectful to me, well, I'm going to be just as mean and disrespectful to you, I'm going to show you who David actually is. You said you don't know who I am, well, I'm coming down with these guys, I'll show you who I am. But here's the problem. I don't think Nabal's the problem. I think that David's frustrated with Saul. But see, Saul's not accessible. He, he can't take his frustrations out on Saul. But now he, he's got somebody he can take it out on. He's going to take it out on somebody else. The king is untouchable, but this Nabal guy, I can take him. I, I can show somebody. I can get all of this tension, all this anger out on him. Now, meanwhile, while all this is going on back in Carmel, uh, Abigail, she, she hears about all this. She wasn't there when, when David sent his messengers, but, but she hears about this. And, and her, her servants kind of go to her and they kind of tell him, hey, so this is what happened. Like David came, sent some servants, and they made this request. And, and as you see, if you read it later, and I hope you do in 1 Samuel chapter 25, like they even say like their men were so good to us. They protected us. They didn't take from us. Like they, they were so good to us. They, in fact, it's their, and everybody realizes, it's their protection that kept anything from happening to us or to our sheep and all of these things. And, and David comes down, and, and, and he, he, you know, Nabal, he wasn't nice. He was mean. He was rude. And listen to what the servant says. Now think it over, Abigail, and see what you can do. Because disaster is hanging over our master and his whole household. Listen to this. He is such a wicked man. And no one can talk to him. And so Abigail, she, she's, she's assessing the situation, and she's like, well, my husband, he's this idiot. Like, he's wicked, and he's dumb, and he, he gets in trouble all the time. And, and so here's what she decides to do. She assembles a caravan of donkeys. She gets a whole bunch of donkeys, and she ties them together, and she loads them up with all of the food and all of the supplies that she can. And she knows that David's got a lot of guys out there, so she takes a bunch of donkeys, and she tells her servant, she says, you go on ahead of me, take these donkeys, take this food, you go to David, and I will meet David there. And so David, he's coming down the mountain, he's got his 400 men, he's got his sword strapped to him, he's mumbling to himself, he's building up a head of steam, he's trying to justify everything that he's about to do, and what does David see? David sees a caravan of donkeys, and in front of him is this woman, and it totally messes up his mood. You ever been in that situation where like you're ready to go, like you were ready to tell somebody off, you got this full head of steam, you're ready to walk down to their office and put them exactly in their place, you're on your way home and you're listening to death metal and you are ready to go, you are ready to say what you need to say, you're going to do this and all of a sudden there's like this distraction. You were perfectly mad. David was perfectly mad. And all of a sudden, here's Abigail. And when Abigail saw David, this is what she does. It's so brilliant. She quickly got down off of her donkey. She bowed down before David. And she begins to speak to David as if he's already the man that she hopes he'll be. 
And here's what she says, verse 24. Pardon your servant, my Lord, and let me speak to you. Right? Pay no attention to my husband. You ever been there, ladies? Just pay no attention to that guy. (laughs) Pay no attention to my husband, my Lord. That wicked man, that noble, he is just like his name. His name means fool and folly goes with him. So she's telling David, you're not wrong about my husband, right? I understand why we're in this predicament. I understand. Listen, but, but, but listen, David, you got to hear me. And she begins to speak to him and talk to him about the David that she hopes he will be. And here's what she says, verse 28. And now, my Lord, as surely as the Lord your God lives and as you live, since the Lord Since the Lord has kept you from bloodshed, since the Lord has kept you from avenging yourself with your own hands. And David's like, he did? (laughs) Because remember, David's on his way to avenge his name. And she's speaking to him as if he's not going to avenge his name. She's like, yeah, yeah, he did, he did, right? David, you're not the type of person that would avenge yourself on a defenseless person, are you? You're not the type of person that's going to come down here with these 400 men and you're not going to slaughter these, these farmers, are you? And then she begins to give him credit for being even better than he's about to be. She, she talks about this gift that she's bringing and she says, hey, this gift is for you and for your men. And, 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 and her kindness, she completely ruins his plans. And then she, she, she goes, you're not someone that's like going to justify and, and slaughter and pillage, right? Listen to what she says in verse 28. The Lord your God will certainly make a lasting dynasty for my Lord because you fight the Lord's battles. I do? Yeah, David. You fight the Lord's battles, right? You fight the good battle. And no wrongdoing, no wrongdoing will be found in you as long as you live. It, it won't. And then she does this, this brilliant thing. Because see, this is, again, this is sometimes what it's about. She refers to King Saul. Because everybody knows what's really going on with David. She says in verse 29, Even though someone is pursuing you to take your life. Listen, David, I understand why you feel like you have to be like this. I understand why you feel like you have to be mean. I understand why you're so angry right now. I I understand. And then she uses some like interesting Hebrew imagery and and she kind of says, but listen, like David, your life is like tucked away. Your life is secure. And then she does something that's really brilliant. I I mean, I wish you guys could take notes on how she diffuses the situation. It's just something so brilliant. She takes David back to 15-year-old David. She takes him back to the moment this whole saga began, when he faced Goliath. See, see, David right now, he's carrying a sword, but that sword wasn't his sword to begin with. That sword was Goliath's sword, and then it became David's sword. And she says this, but the lives of your enemies, he, God, will hurl away is from the pocket of of a sling. Remember who you are, David. Remember your past. See, you were chosen by God because he knew what you could do because you trusted him. You didn't have to go out 
and avenge any fights. You were fighting the Lord's battle, David. You, you remember, he came to your rescue. You have no need to return evil for evil because you're fighting the Lord's battles. And, and, and if we can remember, David, remember that sling. See, God's been pretty, pretty true and trustworthy. And then she speaks to his future. She said, okay, so David, you were that 15-year-old kid, but, but there's something better coming. And essentially she says what we say around here. She says, what story do you want to tell, David? When this is just a story that people tell. When people will tell the story of what happened between you and the ball, what story do you want them to tell? And listen to what she says in verse 30. When the Lord has fulfilled for my Lord every good thing he promised concerning him and has appointed him ruler over Israel. We all know this is coming, David. My Lord will not have on his conscience the staggering burden of needless bloodshed or having avenged himself. David when we look back on this moment, this moment that could just blow up, and it can always just blow up, right? This moment when you're tempted to do something that I know you're going to regret and that you know you're going to regret, when you're tempted in this moment, listen, because one day people are going to tell this story. What story do you want them to tell, David? Do you want them to tell the story of how you came down with all of your might and all of you who you are and you just slaughtered these men? Yeah, I get he was a jerk. I get he was mean, but come on, David. Do you really want to pay, repay evil with evil? Or is there a better story we could write here? And so David, he looks at Abigail and he says this. Praise me to the Lord, the God of Israel, who has sent you today to meet me. May you be blessed for your good judgment. And David gets the donkeys, and he goes back up into the mountains, and he leaves Nabal alone. All of us need an Abigail in our lives, don't we? Someone who could talk us down, someone who could have access to us, someone who can see that we're about to do something that we're going to regret. We're about to do something that's going to blow up. We're about to do something that's going to be bigger than we even realize. And when that person shows up, when she shows up, we should listen. Some of us in this room could get up here and tell stories about some of our greatest regrets when it comes to relationships and the things that we've done that could have been avoided if we listened to the Abigail in our life. If we listened to the person. And some of you, if you're honest, you'll admit you had someone that said something. But you'd already justified it in your head. You'd already built up in your mind, this is what I'm going to do. This is how I'm going to respond. This is what I'm going to do. They did this to me. I am justified in what I'm about to do and say to them. Sometimes we allow what we want in the moment, what we want immediately to get in the way of what we want ultimately. We want what feels right now that we know will haunt us later. Now, I'm tempted not to tell you what happens the rest of the story because 
you're like, well, okay. So, so what happens is she goes back to Nabal, and, and she's like, he's having a party because he's got all this money, and she, he, she's having a party, and he's, he, the Bible tells us he's really drunk. So he's like, I'm not going to talk to you right now. So she waits till the next morning when, when he's sober, and she tells him what had happened. And all of a sudden, Nabal realizes how close he came to just being destroyed. And everything that he worked for and everything just gone like that. The Bible tells us that 10 days later, Nabal gets sick and he dies. And David hears about this. I'm tempted not to tell you the next part. But he goes, hey, Abigail, I hear you're single now. (laughs) You are so wise. And he messages Abigail. He, de- he de- gets at her DMs. <laughs> and they get married and live happily ever after. Now, here's what I want to say as we close. And I got to close quick. Nabal was irrational. David was predictable. But what about Abigail? Now, if you're not a follower of Jesus, um, you can choose to respond to situations however you want. But if you're a follower of Jesus, we really only have one option. See, when Jesus, who died for our sin, says, who gave us not what we deserved, what does it look like to respond? You see, some of us, we say, you know, okay. And so here's the thing, just so you know, Jesus says to love your enemies and to do good for those who persecute you. To which we'd be like, you mean tolerate and ignore those people? I can do that. Jesus is like, no, I mean, do good. And Abigail did good to someone who could have destroyed her life. Jesus says, no, it's not the way it works. See, sometimes the best thing you can do for someone is to do something kind for them, to do something well for them. And you're like, you know, no, I, I like the idea of cursing them. That sounds better. And Jesus is like, no. Because, see, that's what everybody does. And how is that working? How's that working when we just repay evil for evil? Now, Jesus says, I want you to do good for those. I want you to bless those. He says, I even want you to pray for those people. Now, let's be honest. Most of us in this room struggle with praying for people that treat us well, much less people that don't. But Jesus says, no, no, I want you to do something for them. Because, see, when you do something for them, that's how you keep from becoming like them. Jesus says, you do this for them. And and when you do this for them, when you do kind things, when you do things, when you respond, not the way that everybody expects you to respond, but you respond in a way that diffuses the situation, you respond in a way that makes everybody to stop in their tracks, you you, you do this, um, you actually become more like me, which is the goal, right? Now, I know the pushback on doing something nice for somebody that you feel like is a threat to you or could be mean to you or could harm you. Um, The the pushback is, well, I'm just not going to do it. It's just that simple. By some of you are like, I, I'm, no, there's no way I'm doing that. There have been times where I've gotten it right. Not very many times, but a few. And what I realized is the reason that I do something kind for someone who's been mean to me, who, who's been harmful to me, who's been hurtful for me, the re- reason I do it is I have to do it for me. That's why I do it. I have to do it for me. I have to do something for them because it's really for me, because of where my heart and my mind are at. See, David could have wrote a predictable story. 
He didn't have to listen to her. He could have just done whatever he wanted. But let's not write a story of evil for evil, because that's what everybody expects. It's what you're justified in, or you've justified in your own mind. It's what your friends would say, well, of course that's the way you responded. Of course that's what you do. But for some of us, this is the opportunity to break the cycle, to do something unexpected, to do something different. I don't know your circumstances, and I know it's easy for me to stand up here and to say that you should do that. I get it. But all I'm trying to do is to inspire you and encourage you to follow our Savior, who chose to give even when we didn't deserve. Because at the end of the day, it all comes down to this. What story do you want to tell? When that situation pops up, when that person pops up, when that thing pops up, what story do you want to tell when it's just a story people are going to tell? The reality is, is that sometimes when we do respond in kind, when we respond in the way that Jesus asks us to, in the way that Abigail responds in this situation, in, in truth, you know, sometimes, in fact, it doesn't actually and won't change anything in them. But it might change something in you. And isn't that worth a shot? Because at the end of the day, there's always going to be mean people. And sometimes we're going to be mean people. And there's always going to be drama in life. But I don't have time to talk about drama, so you'll just have to hear about that next week. Let's pray.